4: Yama and welcome to NITV Radio. Today is Wednesday, April 26. Well, yesterday was Anzac Day, a national day to commemorate all men and women who served and died in all wars, conflicts and peacekeeping uh, operations for Australia. On Anzac Day, it is also important to recognize the contribution Indigenous members have made and continue to make to the Australian Defence Force. On this occasion, we spoke to two Indigenous soldiers who are transforming the way Defence does business with Indigenous communities and Indigenous ADF members around the country. These two guests are Lieutenant Colonel Eileen John Hall, one of the most senior female Indigenous officers in the ADF, and Corporal Tina Haywood, an author and storyteller extraordinaire. In a three-way conversation with the two deadly sisters, we explore the role Indigenous soldiers play, especially on home soil. Still in the context of Anzac Day 2023, we look at the way Indigenous service to the country in the armed forces was marked around the country yesterday. All these stories and more coming to you after the latest news. And we are broadcasting today from Nam on the Kulin Nation. Bertrand Tungandami here. I am Bertrand Tungandami.
5: Australia Day 1972 saw the
1: first Aboriginal embassy erected outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended.
5: And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came.
0: I am sorry.
4: In this bulletin, a Senate inquiry into murdered and missing Indigenous women and children convened in Western Australia at Sydney set to host next Quad Leaders meeting in late May, and the government announces changes to its pharmaceutical benefits scheme. Today's hearing into the murder of First Nations women will take place in Perth this week. As part of a Senate inquiry, submissions from families of murdered and missing Indigenous women and children will be heard. Nationally, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women are 32 times more likely to be hospitalized due to family violence than non-First Nations, First Nations women. Committee Member W.A. Green Senator Dorinda Cox says the hearing is an overdue chance to look at the disproportional rates of First Nations women and children both missing and murdered. A unique ceremony in Perth has brought the city's Nunga and Maori communities together to honor servicemen and women from both countries. More than a thousand people converged on Perth's Supreme Court gardens for the event marking Anzac Day. A rousing haka from the Maori community kicked off the cultural exchange and Noongar dancers responded, welcoming their First Nations counterparts. This is only the second time the Indigenous Anzac Day service has been held and organisers won the event included in the mainstream dawn service. Shannon Kering was one of the Noongar performers.
0: Well, that's the hardest thing about it. We weren't even citizens, um, or counted as citizens in our own country. And to actually go over to another foreign country and fight for what is freedom, it's just very hard to actually, looking back at it now, comprehend what was going through their minds, knowing that they might not be able to come back into the country.
4: Prime Minister Tony Albanese has announced that the next squad leaders' meeting will be held at the Opera House in Sydney on May twenty-four. The Quad, more commonly known as the Quadrilateral Security Dialogue, includes the leaders of Australia, India, Japan and the United States. The previous meeting was held in Tokyo on May 24, 2022, just a few days after Mr Albanese had won the federal elections. The Prime Minister says discussions will be focused on the global financial situation and the opportunities for investment in the Indo-Pacific.
1: During the hosting of the meeting at the uh, Sydney Opera House uh, it will be an opportunity to discuss all of those issues and our common interests, our common interests as democracies, as vibrant economies, as countries who want to work with each other for our common interest in the Indo-Pacific region.
4: Federal Health Minister Mark Butler has announced changes to the Federal Government's Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme. Based on the changes, people with chronic diseases will be able to purchase two months' worth of medication with a single visit to their pharmacy. The plan, which has been subject to backlash by the pharmacy guild due to medication shortages, will also make it cheaper for consumers. Mr. Butler says the changes, which are expected to be applied partially next September, will bring great relief to many people living with chronic illnesses.
0: This will obviously uh, involve much less inconvenience for patients. It will reduce pressure, which we know is substantial, on general practice. And importantly, it will halve the cost of those medicines for six million patients.
4: Pressure to increase welfare payment rates is ramping up ahead of the federal budget as more than 300 advocates, politicians and notable Australians pen an open letter to the Prime Minister. Current and former MPs from across the political aisle, along with economists, business and union heads, have called on Anthony Albanese to listen to the government's Economic Inclusion Advisory Committee. Last week the Inclusion Committee recommended a substantial increase to the Jobseeker payment and related working age payments as a top priority. Four government backbenchers, Alicia Payne, Kate Thwaites, Louise Miller-Frost and Michelle Ananda Raja are among the signatories along with Liberal MP Bridget Archer, independents and Greens MPs on the cross bench. Council of Social Service New South Wales Chief Executive Joanna Quilty says the daily financial pressures are especially difficult to handle for those living in Australia's remote communities.
1: All of these factors are combining in rural and regional areas and it's those reliant on inadequate income support payments that mean they're living below the poverty line who are absolutely struggling the most.
4: The Victorian government has officially raised the the minimum age of criminal responsibility in the state from 10 to 12 years of age after calls to keep young people out of prisons. The announcement released by State Minister for Emergency Services Jacqueline Symes also confirms that this will be just the first step in the fight against youth crime with the criminal age being further raised to 14 in 2027. Aboriginal and legal advocates have been pushing for this change, stating that there are too many Indigenous children in state prisons. The state government is also, has also, also plans to ensure that children under the age of 14 understand their legal responsibilities. The Federal Energy Minister says that the government's recently announced mandatory code of conduct for gas suppliers will secure more gas at reasonable prices. The new code of conduct, or gas code, will implement a mechanism that will ensure prices remain down that includes a price cap of $12 per gigajoule. Certain companies could be exempted from the cap, such as small local producers or larger companies who meet certain criteria. Energy Minister Chris Bowen has told ABC Radio the new code should satisfy both consumers and
5: producers. This is all about, if you like, cutting the link between very volatile international gas prices
1: and the prices Australian industries and households pay for Australian gas. And that's what we're doing in the consultation paper. The federal government will
4: more than double funding to help protect Australia's national parks. In the upcoming budget, to, due to be handed down in the second week of May, over $262 million will be allocated to boost the upkeep of national parks across Australia. The funding is expected to create 110 extra jobs to address feral animals and weed infestations. We will also help upgrade visitor facilities and fix broken signage and equipment. The money will also be used to boost conservation and cultural heritage management, as well as provide essential housing for rangers. United Nations Secretary General Antonio Guterres has called for an end to the conflict in Sudan, urging leaders to come together to establish a permanent cessation of hostilities. So far, a series of short ceasefires in the past week have either failed or outright. All brought only intermittent lulls in the fighting that has raged between the forces of the country's two top generals since April 15. The UN Health Agency has confirmed the deaths of at least 159 people, including civilians and fighters, while over 4,000 have been wounded since fighting began. Mr Guterres says he needs the needs of the people must be given priority. It is incumbent on Sudanese leaders to put the interests of their people front and center. This conflict will not and must not be resolved on the battlefield with the bodies of Sudan's people. The Sudanese people have made their wishes very clear. They want peace and the restoration of civilian rule through the transition to democracy. United States President Joe Biden announced on Tuesday that he will seek a second White House term in 2024. The reaction among a handful of people on the streets of the nation's capital has been mixed. Mr. Biden is 80 years old, and if he wins the November 2024 election, he would be 82 years old when he is inaugurated to a second term. He would be 86 when his term ends, almost a decade higher than the average life expectancy of an American male. Voters appear to be split over President Biden's age. And to sport... Back home, actually, an expected fall in consumer prices will be welcomed by households stretched thin by expensive goods and services. But while economists foresee a sharp drop in headline inflation in the quarterly Consumer Pricing Index released on Tuesday, even a generous decline may not be enough to steer the Reserve Bank away from a May interest rate hike. Consumer prices started surging last year due to global supply-side issues, Russia's invasion of Ukraine and stimulus programs during the pandemic, but the Sovereign Bureau of Statistics' inflation quarterly index likely passed its peak last quarter. A Reuters poll forecast a 1.3% lift in headline inflation in the March quarter, down from a 1.9% lift in the final three months of 2022. Medical experts have told an inquiry the Australian Football League must introduce a policy around chronic traumatic encephalopathy and change its culture around concussions to better protect players about 80 about 80 players are diagnosed with concussion each, each with concussion each season in the AFL and AFLW. The league's medical chief, Michael McDesey, says while concussion guidelines are in place, official policies are also needed to improve health outcomes for players, given the link between repetitive head trauma and CTE. Michael McDesey has told the Senate inquiry there needs to be a policy to show how seriously the court takes CTE. He says the AFL will have to work more closely with the AFL Players Association to address the issue of concussions. And now having a look at the weather around the country, Broome, sunny day, 32, Perth, showers easing, 21, Adelaide, late shower, 02, 28. Melbourne, mostly sunny, 24, Hobart, sunny, 23, albury Wodonga, sunny as well, at the top of 23, Canberra, much the same, 21, Wollongong, partly cloudy, 23, Sydney, similar conditions, Twenty-four Newcastle partly cloudy. Twenty-five Brisbane showers. Twenty-five Townsville sunny. Twenty-eight Cairns shower. Two twenty-nine Alice Springs partly cloudy. Thirty-one Darwin partly cloudy. Thirty-three and the Torres Strait Islands are mostly cloudy. there and a top of thirty-two degrees. And that is an ITV Radio News.
2: TV Radio, Monday, Wednesday, Friday at 1pm or anytime online.
4: Welcome back, I am Bertrand Tungandame and you're listening to NITV Radio, coming to you from Nam on the Kulin Nation this Wednesday afternoon. Well, this Wednesday we explore and recognise the contribution Indigenous members have made and continue to make to the Australian Defence Force. <music>
2: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
4: Yesterday, Anzac Day commemoration services were held around the country to remember Australian lives lost in war. In Adelaide, mob gathered at the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander War Memorial, part of a growing number of service recognition, recog- services recognising the sacrifice and treatment of First Nations diggers. Ricky Kirby has the story.
6: And a solemn service honouring past and present First Nation servicemen and women.
1: There have probably been thousands of our people from across our country, uh, including uh, Torres Strait Islanders, uh, uh, that have uh, you
6: know, served our country and are still doing it today with huge distinction. On a day of remembrance and recognition. I think there has been a beginning of a
1: change on how people recognises, uh, acknowledges, and uh, are aware uh, of uh, our service.
0: Acknowledgement is, is very significant. I think it's one of those things which hasn't necessarily taken place in the right way historically, but today we're rectifying that.
6: For those who have served, for those who made it home, and those who made the ultimate sacrifice.
0: Today you'll get to remember um one of my uncles and it was special to sort of gather here with um all the mob and take time to reflect on what they did and what they've given for our country.
6: Held at the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander War Memorial ten years on since its establishment.
0: This is a conjunction of having a special place which crosses between the I suppose Western style of defence commemoration um and also traditional methods of coming together. So this memorial, I think, even in its design, brings together those two facets in unity.
6: Ricky Kirby, NITV News.
4: And in Sydney, the role of Aboriginal to Torres Strait servicemen servicemen and women was honoured at the Coloured Diggers March. NITV's reporter Emma Killaway was in red fund for one of Australia's biggest First Nations Anzac Day events.
2: Hundreds gathered at the Redfern Community Centre, a hub for First Nations people here in Sydney, before marching down to Redfern Park. This is the 17th year the event has taken place in what has become a major commemorative service for First Nations diggers. At the centre of today's proceedings, the chance to honour the legacy of one man. Warrant Officer Leonard Waters, who was the first Aboriginal combat pilot and the only one to serve as a fighter pilot in the Royal Australian Air Force during World War II. Today, his story was retold by his great-niece. We heard of his wartime experience and the discrimination and disadvantage he suffered on his return home.
6: This is just a huge, big blessing for all of us to be back into community again and to celebrate not only uh, who we are, but also to commemorate the incredible exploits of our wonderful warriors who fought in all these overseas conflicts, but also to remind ourselves that we do have so many warriors here in our own country in terms of the frontier wars.
2: For some here today, it was a moment of reflection and learning.
3: Yeah, it's just fantastic to be here and have the opportunity to connect with like the rest of the mob and um, celebrate something Um and like appreciate the aboriginal soldiers and um, yeah recognize them for what they've done for us for
2: others it was a chance to reflect on their own service
0: well i think anzac day um, itself is a very spiritual day for me i'm a veteran obviously i'm a yorta yorta man from uh, down in the which is where my mob comes from and to me the importance is the collection of the spiritual collection um... that uh, That comes with both dawn service and all the way through to here.
1: I I just think the camaraderie that we had when we served, and and to meet uh, a lot of the people in the community that come up and have a yak here because you know um, you're wearing your medal, so yeah.
2: This event gets bigger each year. Today's crowd is the biggest we've seen in at least three years due to reduced capacity because of the COVID-19 pandemic. And what is an opportunity for mob to come together to remember the fallen and also tell the true history of Australia's military past.
4: And in North Queensland, a special event was held in Gimoy, Kent, on the eve of Anzac Day to commemorate the lives of First Nations people lost during the frontier wars. While mob in the Torres Strait gathered to honour those who fought for our country and contribute to serve. Tanisha Williams reports.
3: A night spent reflecting on the warriors who were the first to defend
1: this country. It's about stuff that you won't find in textbooks. This stuff that is there, that has to be revealed. Revealed into everyday classroom, everyday community, so people can really understand what frontier wars actually means, and what it means to this country, especially.
3: Gathering at a place not too far from where the first battles in Gimoy Cairns took place in the tropical rainforest and along the coastal areas. It's about time that a lot of people in the community and the
5: public were made aware of exactly what did happen in the frontier wars here on country before any
3: other wars ever happened. Traditional sounds ushered in the dawn service in Cairns with a special reef laid for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander servicemen and women who fought in all wars. On Massig Island in the Torres Strait, residents gathered with the Sapai, an almost all Indigenous regiment, to pay their respects and honour those who have defended and continue to protect their island homes and waters. It
1: gives us a much more um, like, inside feeling of respect of our, our fathers, our grandfathers who fought um, for our country, for our nation,
4: our people.
3: Centuries of service protecting the north. Tanisha Williams, NITV News.
4: Now, step aside for a short break, but stay tuned because when we come back, we have a conversation with the two deadly sisters of the ADF, uh, Lieutenant Kano Eileen John Hall and co Tina Haywood. Stay tuned.
2: Join the conversation on radio, online and mobile. You're with NITV Radio.
4: I'm joined by Lieutenant Colonel Eileen Joan Hall, Command Cultural Advisor to the Regional Force Surveillance Group, RSFG, also one of the Army's most senior Indigenous female officers. Also joining us is uh, Corporal Tina Haywood, author and cultural liaison advisor for RFSG. Corporal Haywood is also Lieutenant Colonel Hall's Offsider. Our two guests are joining us ahead of ANZAC Day 2023 to explore First people's contribution to the Defence Force. Aileen and Tina, thanks for joining us and welcome to NITV Radio. Uh,
1: Yalada, bedroom, and thank you so much for taking the time to, to yarn with us today. We also want to pay our respects to your listeners from whatever country they are from, so we acknowledge themselves, their family, their communities and their bloodlines. Um, We're dialing in from Larrakia country in Darwin, but um, we just want to pay our respects and uh, it's so um, wonderful to be able to discuss the importance of Anzac Day and and also the contribution of First Nation soldiers current and and, and, and before.
4: Before we look at the contribution of Indigenous members of the ADF in general, can you tell us about yourselves in a few words and uh, your respective roles with the ADF?
5: My name's Corporal Tina Hayward. I've um, been um, in Defence Force for ten years. Uh, this year, and since March, I'm the local um, observer element for a Regional Force Surveillance Group headquarters. My role is to help um, you know build up bridge between community and um, with the Defence Force um, our joint capability guys like a uh, command officers. So you've I play a big, um, important role. So with the backbone to like, it's like translating and just through that cultural lens as well. I work with, um, Ma'am Hall. Uh, she's a cultural advisor, but I'm just below her. So whatever she does, I, um, am not around for. I sort of, um, pick up and, um, just teach our commanding officers, um, that different cultural, um, ways of understanding to make, um, better engagement, better um, to see um, through our lenses and how, to, how do we engage more with communities and um, mob and defence,
1: yeah. Yalada, Ngayan Ngata, Lieutenant-Colonel Eileen Joan Hall. Nengata Bupo, Wangamun, East Cape York, Wujil and Hapwell So my role is what they call command cultural advisor. So um, for your listeners there, so within the Regional Force Surveillance Group, Um, We're based out of the headquarters in Darwin. We have three regional force surveillance units across the top end. So to the west, we have Pilbara Regiment. Um, Within the Northern Territory, we have Norforce, which also encompasses uh, Kimberley Squadron. And then to the east, we have 51st Battalion, which covers, you know, Gulf of Carpentaria, uh, Cairns Tablelands, Cape York and the Torres Strait up to the PNG border. Uh, it's roughly around 52% of Australia's landmass, so, so my role uh, is to work with command in terms of um, that strategic engagement. Uh, we've been doing a lot of work at the moment with um, peak, peak organisations um, in terms of doing that cross-work and also um, peak organisations, and they may include land councils and, and um, peak organisations like AMSAN, for example, in the Territory and, and others. Uh, in terms of that connection and, and access and then, um, collaborative opportunities. Uh, so the whole idea is that with my role and then Jean as our Corporal Hayward on the ground is that the connection in terms of connecting command with community, um, if there's any issues there, but also to be that cultural bridge. So, um, understanding what, what the cultural safety protocols are, um, and how we can make sure that, you know, everyone is on the same page when we come to do work on country. Um, We we are a long-range reconnaissance and surveillance um, uh, part of the Army and we also have an Indigenous Development Wing, so we have our own training schools or training area for our First Nation soldiers um, to do their trade. So, yeah, it's it's huge. So 20 to 40% of uniformed soldiers uh, within Army come from within the Regional Force Surveillance Group area of operation. So it's huge, huge contribution.
4: Are they mainly uh, First Nations, or it's just yes. um, wow? Yes. That's a massive. Yeah. That's a huge contribution yeah. to the force. Yes,
1: and and you know, I just want to make it clear to the listeners there. Um, when we when we talk about you know service and and especially the connection First Nation mob countrymen have with defence. So when the census was done in twenty twenty one they found one in five Australian families had either a current or a historical connection to defence. When we look at our First Nation communities, particularly in our remote and um, northern areas, um, and even put as a country, um, it's a lot closer. It's one in two families has a a connection with defence, either currently or historically. So that relationship is a lot closer. Um, So it's really important that when we're thinking around Anzac Day, You know, since federation, in any campaign that Australian Defence Force has been a part of, you had First Nation um, representation there. You had First Nation people who served and who are currently serving today, and it's because of that historical connection, you know, and love of country.
4: That's uh, something that's uh, to be actually acknowledged and actually repeated because some people may not know that uh, First Nations people went to war even before they were uh, recognising the referendum, even before they had citizenship in this country. And uh, some had to lie even to be able to go and fight for the country.
1: And and, and that's part of that. You know, it's acknowledging the history. You know, we're not shying away from that. The history and the way that the legislation... You know, and the policies of that day, you know, made it, you know, and so that's why the work that the War Memorial is doing now is uncovering and, and, and finding out those stories from our First Nation soldiers. But the other point I want to raise too, um, Bertram, is that communities also contributed to the war effort. And so it's important to understand that they also helped um, in some ways. And so it's that whole focus that we need to acknowledge. And so when we talk about Anzac Day, it's around that, um, you know, time for reflection. It's also time for connection or reconnecting with those stories, you know, um, and, and being proud of them.
4: Yeah, and the work you do involves working directly with the population. It's not um, service operating overseas. Uh, I saw documentaries about your group. Many of the First Nations men and women actually in your area are recruited for their very strong knowledge of the country and. Uh, especially skilled, especially in uh, tracking, and, um, yeah.
1: Yeah, so we do long-range reconnaissance and surveillance. So that's actually, we have to know our country, the area that we're operating in. Um, a lot of people may think, they get nervous when they say, oh, are we going to Ukraine to fight? Are we going, no, 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 we, for our area that we operate in, we only want you for domestic operations within your area because countrymen know their country better than anybody else. They know how to read the country. They know their seasons. They know where they can go and hunt and gather food. They, you know, So that's that kind of um, skill set that only they bring to the table. No one else does. That's the gift that they have. And so for us, it's really important that we have people that are recruited from, from country across our area of operations. And it's also acknowledging... For me as command cultural advisor is that we have many nations within this one nation. And so that's where, you know, Corporal Hayward's role in terms of being the local observer element provides that cultural bridge and link, um, between command and, and, and the mob on country. So yeah, it's a very, it's a specialized skill set. Um, and I might put, um, Corporal Hayward on because she's, um, one of our rare mob who's actually dual traded. Uh, so she has both, um, Combat supporter operator um, uh, certification, as well as um, patrol or patrol person, yeah, patrolman, yeah, yeah. and yeah. also
4: also an author. Uh, she's also written yeah. a book, so we're gonna maybe talk
1: about that. She's as well. awesome, yeah, yeah Bertram. Yeah. She's awesome. I, I have no competition there. Yeah, she's deadly. <laughs> yeah, I'll let I'll let her talk. Yeah.
5: yeah. So, uh, the story behind that. Um, for learning those children. I started uh, 10 years ago was like, where well, I walked through Defence Retreating. I was like, well, what, what are my chances of joining as a mum? You know, like, as a, a young Indigenous woman too, like, walking through the doors, uh, there were challenges. There was uh, overcoming barriers. And um, I thought, you know what? Why not have a go at this? And I'm here today telling my story due to um, the resilience, uh, strength and... Um, understanding and the discipline that I learned from um, the Army. So doing 304 and 305, so patrolman and combat support operator, I gained many skills and I implemented those tools within me. And it, So, you know, understanding the land and the cultural way, who's better than someone that's from country to do something like that? Because, you know, that's embedded, that's something unique within us. And we carry our cultural knowledge forever, for generations. We've been here for 65,000 years, you know, that's something unique and you're not going to find it out a textbook. You're going to find it from us. So learning those t- skills, so doing warehouse office, like within, um, combat support, doing the warehouse, uh, driving, so, um, skills, um, receptionist, so, those schools as a reservist you can go back to community you can be a driver um, you know for the health team or for the youth um, youth, uh, kids club there or you know you can work in the warehouse like at the back of the store no matter where you want to go the world is your oyster and um, it never stopped me from growing and learning and so every day is a learning day for me within Defence Force and I learn from so many inspirational people, and I learned from um, Ma'am Hall and, and along with my turn um, of command. So I'm pretty proud to speak about on the radio today and um, thanks to those that um, before me, after me, and and that's going to um, keep continue that amazing legacy through the Defence Force.
4: And you wrote a book, Warriors, an Aboriginal woman's life. i just quote from uh, that book. You say, I'm an Aboriginal woman, but I don't let that define me. Uh, can you elaborate on that quote?
5: Yeah, so that was my healing journey. When I wrote my autobiography book, it went nationwide then and went globally. So it's throughout Amazon and everything. And writing my story and letting people understand the see through my lenses, and that was only just a glimpse of my life. And um, so my my story is somebody else's survival guide. So whether you're a young person from community, um, a, a, a mother, auntie, sister, daughter, you can become whoever you want to become. So when I put pen to paper, I was like, you know what, someone's going to hear my story and they're going to grow and learn from it. And that was a positive outlook for me. And from then, there on, I continued my journey and did my business with it. But I always still come back to defence as well. So, that, like I said, that gave me that strength and resilience to growing my wings to who I am today. So, no. No. I, and I'm here to tell it. So that's my legacy, to keep going forward.
4: <laughs> no, you embody a lot of things, a writer and a soldier, many skills. I can not even picture you going around the country doing motivational speaking.
5: We have many tools embedded in us. So, those... So you know we wear many hats, yeah we back in the community where we come from you know cultural um, strength and resilience, and that spirit within us makes us go further, and that drive is the drive that makes us wake up every day. It's the drive that makes me put on my uniform to know who's watching and that strength for the great leadership because you don't know who's looking at you and you don't know who has captured your um positivity and empowering so that's why I love waking up, I love my job and I love coming and meeting the people I work around because, you know, it's what you make of life and um this is today why we're here telling their story to encourage many others and Judy ends up there coming up with something very significant, it's a significant day because those spiritual ways will always find us and those spirits from our soldiers, you know, is something very powerful. So. You know,
4: yeah, as I said earlier, your journey alone is inspirational and uh, uh, being a writer, how does it feel being an outsider to one of the most senior Aboriginal female officers in the Defence Force?
5: You know, every day I come into my office and I see three amazing people. I see my Colonel, my Arusham, and I see my ma'am and it's an honour to see these amazing people. I, I smile to say, hey, I get to work beside these most intelligent people and working beside Ma'am is something wow like um you don't get to work beside a lieutenant colonel every day <laughs> mm-hmm. and learning her um in, she's such an inspiration to me not only to me to the younger generations and those that engage with her you know no matter where we go we always shine and we shine together because when one is going through something, the other uplift, and we do that as a team. And when we wear our green skin, we're family, but when we still take our, our uniform off, we're still family. So that's, uh, her being part of my journey, I, um, it's an inspiration. And, and those two, um, my RSM and my Colonel, they, they, it's amazing being beside strong resilience and, amazing people cuz you take that 1% of positivity with you and you can tell your stories on to genera past and the generation how you met and how that story became
4: did you want to be uh, in the army growing up or uh, what uh, prompted you what led you to join the army
5: my uncle was in the army he or not uh, sorry correct he was navy he was navy submariner so he was a navy um, seeing him, I was like, oh, I don't think I want to go to the Navy. Army be my choice. So, yeah, uh, Army was an inspiration. And just seeing First Nation mob and people when you see Uniform Army, Defence Force, it's like, that. Nah, I'm going to be one of that person one of the, one day. And then I did. Now I'm, t- yeah, I'm here speaking about my journey within Defence Force.
4: Lieutenant Colonel Eileen Joan Hall, what led you to join the Army?
1: Before I joined army, I was um, at that time uh, between 2016 and 2019. I was a, a CEO, Chief Executive Officer for George, Aboriginal Shire Council. So for your listeners, I I grew up East Cape York. So my mother is Aboriginal, and my father was an Irish immigrant, and so um and uh so I was CEO for council at that time, and our community, like many other First Nation communities, we were struggling um, particularly around, you know, family violence and, and you know, just that cohesion piece. And so we actually had 51st Battalion coming through Wudja-Wudja, but they were actually not meant to stay there. They were actually on their way to Cooktown um and onto Hopeville. And they camped the night there. And then the next morning I invited them to come down to council chambers and meet with the council, full council, and... You know, just asking them questions. What I didn't realise was that our community elders, our our women elders, had actually prayed for Army to help with community. I didn't know that until afterwards. And one of the interesting things for us was as a community was signing up and and enlisting. And I actually enlisted as a reservist, same with our young people. And it was one of the best things I ever did. And it also helped our community come together because we... We didn't know that we actually had a link back to World War One. We had two um, Aji's grandfathers that had gone on to World War One. They were brothers, Norman and Charlie Baird. They went across to Egypt and um, and the Western Front, survived and came back home. And so we didn't know about that part of their history. And so the work we did with the War Memorial to uncover that was amazing. And so... Here we were a hundred years later we had we had enlisted and so it's an amazing reconnection story and so that's why i'm very passionate around the the anzac day is because it's an opportunity to reconnect and one of the things we talk about back home is when we talk about legacy it's what you leave behind is what you give and um so during your life what did you give to help with your legacy and you know, whether it's generosity of time, whether it's generosity of, of love or or, or, or sharing. Um, you know, for those, for ANZAC Day, for some of our families, they gave the ultimate price, you know. And so their legacy is with us today and it will stay with us as we pass it on to our next generation. And so it's really important that we use that time on ANZAC Day to know that First Nation people have a connection with the ANZAC story and also previously serving soldiers, but also those that are currently serving within Defence. I remember a
4: few years ago doing some stories about uh, some research projects, particularly in Queensland, including efforts by uh, Logan City Council, then the Queensland Library calling on families of First Nations people. Uh, to help document uh, actually uh, the stories of members of their families who might have participated, especially in the First World War, but uh, had not been identified. They were calling for memorabilia and other items that um, could help uh, document um, that service to country. And now, there you are, one of the highest-ranking First Nations women in the army. Are there many others um, of similar ranks or closer?
1: There are, there are more coming through and I, I just wanted to sort of, you know, um, highlight the importance of supporting that a lot of people, um, First Nation mob get a little bit nervous, you know, or shamed about wanting to join up because they think they, you know, they might have not finished school or, you know, they feel that they may not be healthy enough to join or, you know, hey, I had some trouble with courts, you know, that might go against me. Within the regional force surveillance units, the COs, um, commanding officers, they can do waivers for education, health, uh, criminality, and psychological. I, again, it's case-by-case case basis, but the opportunity is there. So, you know, and my first job ever, Bertrand, was I was a two-day CDEP Aboriginal health worker. That was my first job ever, and 20-odd years later...
4: that's one of the worst conditions you can work in
1: yeah but that was that was what was available in my community. I grew up in East Cape York in a remote community. You worked, and so t- for you to get c d e p back then you had to work your two days you were yeah, yeah. you were either a two day or a five day worker for and nothing. so I worked in yeah. the clinic, yeah, and so that was my first job ever and so um you know when we're talking about your legacy, you know what i what I was given the opportunity was you know people believed in me and so the work I do in my role is creating those opportunities for, you know, other mob coming through. That's, that's what I'm passionate about. And, and Corporal Haywood's gift, you know, as a trained trauma counsellor, part of the journey for us is breaking down those barriers and also creating those culture bridges around cultural safety. You know, what does that mean? Because we all come from trauma backgrounds. It's important that we provide those culturally safe spaces for mob to join, and it works both ways. We have a shared history now in Australia, and it's important that we build those bridges and create those spaces for conversations to happen.
4: So joining the army, they not only gain employment, but they also get trained and pick up some skills that they can use outside in civilian life once they leave the army.
1: It's very transferable skills, and so the the conversations we've been having with not only local government but with our peak organisations, like, for example, like and um like health uh, education sector industry sectors is around Hey, we can train them we're really good at training people mm-hmm. Um, but please note that you know once they've done training with us and they go back to community if they're reservists there's an opportunity you can pick them up as part of your workforce because everyone is now looking for workforce well hey be, let's be a capacity partner together and so that opportunity is there, and you know I see my role, and and same with Corporal Hayward's role, is is being those educators saying this is how the connections can happen, and at the same time it's also understanding that we've got to create those safe spaces for our mob to train. In terms of we get a little bit shame if we're introduced to something new, and so the fear of failure is a lot different. And so we train them so that they know how to fail safely. But they also learn how to get back up again and that's important
4: and now before i let you go any final thoughts
1: um
5: to to those listeners out there you know change is amazing don't be afraid of change because you know what at the end of the day you're going to make great leaders and whether you're ready now army's um, not going anywhere um, it's always around you know one day you might click and make the decision but remember there's people out that that want to help you grow and, and encourage you. So we're here to encourage mob to come in and not be afraid of um, stepping forward to making changes and, and a positive change too yes, for your mindset and make yourself a, a better person because remember at the end of the day, you're doing it for you and um, you're helping those around you to see that strength and resilience and you know, um, be proud of who you are, where you come from because we have a culture that's very strong and significant and... Um, That's who we are and that's what we keep merging for because our ancestors built a pathway and we're just leaving that amazing footprint towards too much for the future.
1: Mm. I I think just following on from Sister, it's important to your listeners out there, they come from a long line of warriors. Mm -hmm. It's in their blood. It runs in their blood. And so, you know, caring for country because if you look after country, country will look after you. And, you know, whether their journey is with us in defense or whether their journey is just, you know, in terms of something else, the main thing is that they know that they have a connection with, you know, from the ancestors from before. And so Anzac Day is that time for reflection Mm -hmm. and it's also that time for connection. And it's also to take those lessons from before and put it into practice today to help those mob yet to be, Um, you know. So I just, yeah. I think that's one of the big things. Is you know, there's opportunities there. We're here to help, Um, and even if your journey doesn't end with us, we would love to be a capacity partner with you on your journey.
4: Okay, Lieutenant Colonel Eileen John Hall and Corporal Tina Haywood. Thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us on NITV Radio today.
1: Thank you you very much, and thank you to your listeners
2: join NITV Radio on Facebook.
4: And uh, that's all we have for you for this uh, Wednesday afternoon. Thanks for your company. I'm Bertrand Tungendami. and Tungendami Air. Till next time. Bye for now. Yalu.